Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 85 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, host of this show. Thank you for taking part of your day or evening to spend some time with us. You can follow us on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself at JustinHughes365. And you can follow Andrew at AMCQ82. And if you haven't done yet, done it yet, join our Facebook group, Baseball365, which is where we are talking baseball all offseason. Andrew was, has been posting polls up this week. I've put, put a poll up. Dynasty discussions, all kinds of stuff already going on. The World Series is over, but in Baseball 365, it does exist 365 days a year. We would also appreciate it if you would take a moment, support the show by giving this show a five-star rating and leaving a review for us at iTunes. The link is in the show notes below, and it's just a great way to show support for us. On tonight's episode, Andrew and I are going to touch on the World Series that was, and we're also going to finally cover the rookies. I've been talking about this for a month or two, and Andrew and I are finally going to be discussing rookie hitter performances in a 15-15. and So now let's get Andrew on, and Andrew, we are recording this just before Halloween. So the question of the day is, what is your most memorable Halloween costume you wore as a kid? You know, I'm not, I, I'm just thinking about this when you send it to me. I, I don't know if I really have a specific one when I was a kid, but the one that I think of, and it's cause it was more recent. It was, it was when I was like in my probably early twenties, <laughs> um, we went, me and one of my good friends, we went to a party and we dressed up as Bert and Ernie. <laughs> and uh, we did the whole shebang, you know, like we walked into the rubber ducky and we were just dying laughing. Like the good thing was, was I had the mask, you know, like the it was all covered, but our faces were covered. So I was, it was a good thing because I was just cracking up underneath that mask. Like so, cause, <laughs> and everybody, nobody knew who we were because we didn't tell anybody. So everybody's trying to guess, like, who is that? And. Oh man, it was, it was priceless. But as far as when I was a kid, I don't, I don't know. Cause like it was, I didn't really do it much in high school. So it was, I mean, you're going back a ways, man. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> do you remember any costume you wore as a kid? Any of them? Um, I, I'm pretty sure I was Batman once. Okay. There you go. But yeah, it's I'm, funny. Long time, long time ago. In today's generation, these kids that are growing up in the day where Apple iPhones exist and there are just so many pictures out there that their whole lives are being documented. And yeah, I can barely remember them and I don't have many photos to go back and look back at. I specifically remember being a pirate like three years in a row because my mom never bought me something new whenever we grew growing up, like in the late elementary, I remember doing that, but I like you bringing up the Burton Ernie thing. I remember actually, I think at the age of 20, me and three friends deciding we were actually just going to go trick or treat, even though we were grown adults. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, uh, the, it was like 2000 ish, 2001. And I went as the, I pretty much threw a black, we cut up one of those black sheets and I had a scream mask. I went and grabbed, or I already had one and I was the scream killer. And went and trick-or-treating. And I remember a couple of the smiling people as they opened the door and saw us all. I was like, aren't you a little old to be doing this? And we, But they were all nice to us, and we were nice back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just didn't I didn't do it a lot. Like, I would say the last time I did it, when I was a kid, I was probably like, I don't know, like 13 or 14 maybe. I, I know a lot of kids, they'll do it all the way up through like high school, you know, all the way through. But I just didn't. No, I think I went till about middle school. I think I remember going in the seventh, eighth grade ish, and that I was pretty old for doing that. I think most kids at that age already stopped, but yeah, most, yeah. most are done by high school. We got a little older. We started doing like you know Halloween parties and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and that that was fun. But. Those are fun. 
Well, I do also have another fun Halloween story I want to share over this year's Halloween, but I'm going to save that for the close. So that's something to look forward to at the end. But Andrew, the World Series is over. We have no baseball for four or five months. Um, how depressing is that? Yeah, it's it's kind of tough, but uh, we'll get through it. It always it always goes a little bit faster than I expect. So yeah, and, hopefully this, hopefully this year's same way. And you already have a draft going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so, actually a lot of the reason I wanted to do one right away. I just want to get this going and kind of get a little familiar with the player pool and all that. So, yeah. And you're four rounds in where I'm going to save this one for next week. Whenever we come back, I think your draft will be done by then. How long do those typically take? It's a slow draft. Uh, Probably it'll probably be two to three weeks, I would guess. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's yeah. hard to say. It depends. It, they're all different because it just it, it's four hour clock. I did the four hour one, mm-hmm. but I mean they don't they don't take four hours every pick. Obviously, it's just. Um, I want to say I'm guessing it'll be probably around two weeks, actually. Okay, well maybe we'll circle back in two weeks on that, but we definitely are going to come and talk talk about that as we finally have some early data to look at, at least from one draft. And didn't I hear you say that steamer projections are up on fan graphs now? I, I heard, yeah, I saw you say of, something about steamer. Yeah. So, it's weird. Like they're up. I, I noticed for a couple guys, I want to say I was looking up uh, Starling Marte and I didn't see anything for him. So, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's like all the guys, but if you go to projections and you just go to steamer, I mean, they're listed. Yeah. Wow. For most guys. Yeah. I just don't know. There's a couple things like the auction calculator isn't fired up. You like, you can't do, um, auction values yet, at least to my knowledge, but, uh, they're probably just starting to get it all in there, you know? Yeah. I'm getting us off track. Let's. I think we started this. I started talking about World Series, and then we went other, uh, um, all kinds of ways. But how did you enjoy this series? The Dodgers won in six games. What are your thoughts on it coming out? It was. It was good. I mean, pretty much what I expected. I thought the Dodgers were the better team, but I mean that Rays were tough and gave them a run. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um. You know, after that game one, it was like. Maybe this will be a better series because the Rays come out and get that first game. And then the Dodgers came out in that game, too, and absolutely blew the doors off the Rays, if I recall right. I think the, I think the Dodgers got the first game. Oh, you're right. Yeah, the Rays yeah. tied it up in the second and then the second game. And then the Dodgers blew the doors off of them in the third. And I was like, oh, yeah. maybe maybe we got a little carried away thinking this might be a better series. But then the Rays won game four, and... I want to. That was the most amazing game of the of the series. I think most people would agree. I mean, maybe Dodger fans wouldn't, but that was the wild back and forth game with Brett Phillips with the fun walk off hit. I mean, that you saw that game that night, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Wild game. Uh, Kenley Jansen was getting crushed by a lot of people. I think unjustifiably. I know he had ha- had some blown saves through I think in the postseason but that game was not on him the defense failed him and there were some Texas leaguer hits that was my take do you agree with that yeah yeah pretty much I I felt like that last the last play with uh with Phillips I mean Chris Taylor's just got to come up with the ball I mean it's like you know in that spot the one run is scoring but the second run is never scoring Mm -hmm. and then you know, kind of mayhem ensues. I mean, like, I felt like everything that happened after he bobbled that was a result of him bobbling it. So yeah, it was tough for, for him and for them, but it was just a, <laughs> it was like, almost like you didn't even realize what was going on until it was all over. Yeah. So then the Dodgers take game five and then game six where they clinched um, the, it looked like Tampa was in a good position. It was a close game. But Blake Snell was out there dealing into the sixth inning. And then with one out, he allowed a base runner. And Kevin Cash pulled him, I think, 73 pitches, if I recall right. And he was getting crucified by 
most everybody during that game right when he took him out. I think people were questioning it, and then Nick Anderson immediately gives up the tying and go-ahead runs for the Dodgers. What are your thoughts on this in terms of Kevin Cash, the Blake Snell situation? I didn't like it. I mean, I, I know the numbers say the third time through the order is not as good. I mean, obviously, like, Snell isn't as good the third time through the order, and that's why they do it. And the Rays have kind of gotten to where they are because of stuff like that. You know, they pay a lot of attention to all that stuff. But I just felt like he was rolling. And not only that, he's he's their best pitcher. You know, it's not like – or co-best pitcher, whatever you want to call it. But he's really good, and he was dominant. And then – um you know, gives up a single and gets pulled. It's just kind of tough. I mean, I kind of felt for him, honestly, like gets pulled. And then all of that happens that they lose the lead quickly. And Dodgers kind of never look back. Yeah. It's just, I didn't like it, but I didn't like it when they did it. I made a comment right when he pulled him, like what, you know, kind of thing. But, um, eh, it's not always going to work out. I mean, I I still think cash is a great manager. I just think it was the wrong call. Yeah. I, you know, when a guy's pitching that well, I one runner, I, I, I could have bought it if another guy got on. I, I think I could have been okay if it was two guys on in that situation. But one runner on first base and a guy who's struck out nine through five and a third innings, yeah, I'm with you. He should have. I, I believe he should have left him in. For, so, I'm yeah, with the you top there. the top third of the order was zero for six with six strikeouts against uh-huh. him. And they were coming up. And, you know, I, I could see if, like, the wheels seemed like they were starting to fall off, but it just didn't. Now, if he gives up a two-run bomb there to Mookie, I mean, then maybe you get somebody up and get him out. But, um, yeah, I just felt like it was a little early. I mean, it's always going to be, though, if they leave him in, then they left him in too long. If You know, you always hear that, too. I mean, you <laughs> yes, hear that. Pedro Martinez is what I always think of, that 2003 series with Grady Little, where – Grady got, I think, lost his job because of that game. Yeah, you hear that even more than taking him out too soon, it seems like. So people are always going to kind of have their opinions on that. I just feel like some of it is the eye test. You just have to kind of watch what's going on. And I mean, he was so good in that game. It's just tough. Meanwhile, Corey Seager, who had a fantastic season, we've talked about him a few times this year, about his great bounce-back season. He capped it off beautifully with being the MVP of the 2020, the 2020 World Series. Eight for 20 with two home runs, five RBI, six walks to add in there. So really, he had an on-base percentage over 500 during the series with seven runs scored. Um, he was also the NLCS MVP, and he's now the eighth player in MLB history to earn a LCS MVP and World Series MVP in the same season. So, fantastic year for him, but I don't think we actually talked about why this is a little bit of a bummer for you. Have, did we talk about that on the last podcast? No. I didn't think no. we did. Why don't you share how close you were to having a really nice victory? <laughs> yeah, I made a... Um... So, when the Dodgers were down 3-2 to two to the Braves, so it was like... You know, going into game six of the NLCS, I was just looking at um, World Series MVP odds. And obviously, you know, the, the the Rays and Astros were going into game seven and Braves-Dodgers was going into game six. So there was four teams on the table, all the players. And so picking World Series MVP at that point, obviously there's, um, you know, there's only going to be two teams in it. So your odds are just better because the two teams haven't been finalized. And I was looking at it, and Mookie was thirty-two to one to win uh, World Series MVP, and I just thought it was good price, so I I bet it. And uh, obviously, you know, because I I mean I thought the Dodgers would win in seven. Obviously, you know that's kind of a tough call, but I was thinking once they do that, he's the favorite pretty much going into the World Series, and. That's basically what happened. I mean, they won the next two games. I want to say him, Seager, Bellinger were all kind of close, maybe mm-hmm. Kershaw, but 
like for odds going into it. And then Mookie has the big game one, mm-hmm. like Homer and Homer and two steals. And yeah, it was a fun ride. He had, he had a game in there. I think it was game three or maybe it was game four, but it actually, I think it was the crazy game four maybe, but he was over five. It was like a high scoring game. And that kind of, I was like, ah, he's done, you know, cause it's just, I mean, there's only so many games and that, it was th- it was game three or four, but Seager and Turner were real hot right in there too. So, yeah, it was fun little bet there, but didn't quite get there. But I I just Man, I still feel close. like I, yeah I still feel like it was a good bet. You yeah, know? especially because just them getting there down three two is one thing, but yeah, it was fun. It's funny I'm on RotoWorld.com with Corey Seager's page. I went here so I could pull up his World Series statistics. And on the right of my screen right now, it has some videos, and one of them is from, it says Casey, I'm assuming Sean Casey, who's saying Mookie Betts was World Series MVP for the Dodgers. <laughs> so I guess yeah. I guess Casey, who I assume is Sean Casey, is saying Mookie still should have got that award. And man, I bet you wish that too. That would have been yeah, pretty cool. I didn't really think he had a, much of a case, just because of mm-hmm. how hot the other guys were. But um, like I said, it was fun to follow, so. Well, a couple more things to touch on are your boy. I think you've said on baseball 365, your favorite player of the decade, Clayton Kershaw finally gets over the hump 2.93 ERA and five starts in the postseason, And that's including one of those starts with where he had a bad back, um, which made those stats look a lot worse. If you remove that game, he had a fantastic postseason. And hopefully this stigma of him being a choke in the postseason that so many have used is behind him now because Kershaw got a ring, Andrew. Yeah, it's awesome to see. I still don't think the stigma's going to go away. You're kidding. No, I don't. I think he's going to have to do it one more time. Man. But I think that's just because of how how long it's built up. And um, I still think this shortened season thing, I don't know. I just, I feel like he's got to do it one more time. But I mean, some of it is gone, of course. Yeah, I mean. Let me ask this. The Dodge, or the in the 90s growing up, the Braves went on that 15-year run where they were always in the playoffs, in the World Series quite a few times. But they only won once in two, uh, 95, the strike-shortened season. Um. Do you think that stigma still is on that team? Though that run, do you, cause whenever you think of them and whenever you hear people talk of them, I don't know if I hear as uh, much. As... Usually, usually, when I think of the '90s Braves, I think awesome team. You know, like kind of a dynasty, really. Mm-hmm. That just that just won that just won once. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't think any really anything else. I mean, okay, just curious. Uh, moving on, we got to talk about Randy Rosarena again, breaking the home run record for the playoffs with 10 dingers. And also, Corey Seager tied for second with Nelson Cruz, Barry Bonds, and Carlos Beltran with eight home runs. So no matter what you say, these are great performances. But I, do these records deserve like an asterisk, given there are four rounds of baseball instead of three? I mean... Let's assume that we go back to three rounds next year and we don't see a four rounds again for maybe ever. Do those do these records almost deserve an accurate asterisk on them? Yeah, maybe. I I I was kind of thinking that when they were talking about playoff records, I'm thinking, well, yeah, there's 16 teams in the playoffs, you know. But I don't I don't know about you, but I don't really care about those records that much, so kind of whatever to me. But yeah, they, I mean Obviously, there's an edge there if you're playing more games. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. I think if if people are talking about can you get to 10 to catch Randy or Rosarena next year I'm, and somebody just falls short, maybe even hits nine, something like that, that happens in the next decade, I'll be like, yeah, well, that guy had one less round. So, um, two more qu- Two more things to talk about on this before we move on. Here. What's more impressive, the Giants winning three World Series in five years but not making the playoffs in the other two seasons 
or the Dodgers getting in the World Series three or four years, but only winning one of them. You mean like if that was if it was my team, who would yeah. I? Which would I rather have? I would assume you'd rather have the Giants, actually. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they got yeah. three championships. But like just right. looking at these teams as a whole and looking at their runs here, which do you think is more impressive? Um, still the Giants. Yeah. Yeah, it was just three and five years. It's too good. Yeah, Giants. Man, I I think I'm more impressed with these Dodger Dodger teams, honestly. Well, I think that the difference is the Dodgers can still keep going. Yes. I mean, the Giants is over, and we know how it ended, and Dodgers are still kind of going. So, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah, there will be a point, I think, where at least possibly it's more impressive to me, but... It's three real, and five years is tough to ignore. It's realistically possible. We talk about them in another three years, and they've been in like five and eight, five yeah. World Series in eight years, winning two or three of them. It's yeah, po- very yeah. possible. I mean, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if they like three-peated. Nope. I mean, it, not at all. I, I won't obviously necessarily expect that, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, they're not going anywhere. So Nope. And, um, Finally, the negative, Justin Turner had an inconclusive test the day before Game 6 and then is pulled in the late innings of Game 6 after the next test showed a positive. Knowing that there was an inconclusive, I can't help but wonder why on earth he was, there was a game or he was even out there. So, just your thoughts. What Do you think baseball should have canceled the Game 6 not knowing if everybody was cleared at that point and... How does it happen in the middle of a game that they finally get this test, and what on earth was Justin Turner doing out there after the game? What are your thoughts on just all this? It was a lot. I I don't – there's a lot of moving parts that I I don't really get. Like, one, all year, all the games that were played, you know, throughout the season, we always knew things – you know, if if something happened with a player or testing positive or whatever, it was always before the game started. And during the game, you never heard anything. And then maybe, you know, after a game or the next morning, you would hear something. I just think it's awfully strange that this game, which was the final game of the year and the biggest game of the year, I mean, that they have to pull him in the middle of the game. Like, why... It's like, to me, you either know when the game starts or you finish the game and then you figure it out after the game. But I don't know. It's just so strange. Like, how is it the one time that happens, this is the time? Don't get it. Imagine if the Rays had won that game, how big of a mess we would have had. Yeah, we might not even we might still not have had game 7 yet. Yeah, what what does baseball do with that? I point? was I was wondering the same thing. It it was almost like the Dodgers were about to win when you were thinking about it or mm-hmm. they just won or whatever, but uh I was kind of like, man, if they had if the Rays had won and it went to 7, I mean, they can't really play the next day or the day after. I mean, I don't know. I have no clue what they would have done, but I just, more than anything, I couldn't believe that it came out in the middle of the game. Like, what? But, I mean, it's just crazy to me. It doesn't make sense. And honestly, I bet a lot of other podcasts have asked that question. This is the first time I even thought about it. I just thought about it on the spot as you and I are talking about how big of a mess that would have been. Man, that would have been a bad look. Yeah. Sitting here. Yeah, with- there would have there would have been a few days at least, I think, with no game. And then they obviously would have got game seven in, but I just don't know when it would have been. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and do 15 and 15 on rookie hitters.
Okay, Andrew, I guess I gotta grab my phone again, as I've tried looking online and finding a good timer, and I still need to do this. But until then, we're just gonna use my old iPhone, and I'm gonna hold this thing up here as we do go over these. We're gonna cover 15 rookies and performances about how they did, and I'm gonna have a question for you on each of these guys, and we'll get started. And we're gonna start off with the one and only Luis Robert who was one of the biggest stories in baseball this year. He tore it up in the first half and then slumped mightily down the stretch in September. He finished hitting the season, hitting 233 with a, his slash line was 233, 302, 436 with 11 home runs and nine steals. Definitely fantasy friendly counting stats there with the home runs and steals. He walked 8.8% of the time, but he struck out 32% of the time. Assuming we have a normal season next year and he stays healthy, do you want to take an early stab at what his 5x5 five five offensive stats could look by, like next year? I think his home runs and stolen bases will be good. I, I mean, I think he could go 25-25 somewhere in the... 25 to 30 steal or 25 to 30 homers and maybe roughly that in steals, maybe a little bit less. Um, my concern with him is just, I don't think his runs in RBI will be that great. Cause I don't think, I think he'll hit like seventh in the lineup mm-hmm. and I think his batting average will be pretty terrible. So it's kind of tough. I mean, it's an exciting profile per se because like everybody's chasing the big power speed combos or you know whatever but I mean he swings more than anybody in the league strikes out as much as anybody in the league it's tough I mean it's it's just hard it's hard to continue that forever and ever you know yeah I've got follow-up questions but we're out of time and I'm gonna move on um Kyle Lewis hit 262 with a 364 on base, 437 slug, with 11 home runs and five steals. He had a fantastic year. One year from now, is his dynasty stock up, down, or about the same as it is right now? Um, I'm going to say about the same, but if I had to pick up or down, I would say down. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I would pick down over the three. I just, I don't know. I'm not a, I I remember, I don't have a stat cast data in front of me. I know I was very skeptical whenever I was looking at some stuff. He, I just, he, he's got a lot of helium right now. And he's a guy I, I would definitely be moving. I've had a guy ask me about him who's floating around in the dynasty league. And the other one we play, uh, that I play in. And I'm just. Not too interested in paying the price that it would take to get him right now. He's an interesting. Yeah, I one. don't. I don't think he'll be as good next year as he was this year. But I think even with a little bit of regression, just maintaining it over a full season could keep his value around the same. So yeah, I if guess he, it's kind of where I'm at. If he's slightly down, yeah, his value is probably about the same. Just for doing it longer. You yep. Know. And people being enticed by what he did this year. Uh, number three, Nick Solak. He was decent, but not spectacular. 268, 325, 344 slash line. So definitely not much power there with the 344 slug. Two home runs and seven steals. Steals are hard to come by, which is nice. But, man, the power wasn't there. Um, well, do you think it's more or less likely that Nick Solak ever has a season with 20 home runs? Do you know how many home runs he had in 2019 without looking? 26 to 28. I had a 30, share. 32. Oh, that's right. That's it right. Went counting, counting majors and minors. It was 20, 17. Then he got traded. This is in AAA. 10 more. So 27 in the minors. Then he came up and hit five. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, I mean, I don't expect that to happen ever again, probably. But uh, he did hit yeah, nineteen I mean, the year before that, if I recall, without looking. I think he, I think he could have a year where he hits twenty. Yeah, I, 
I kind of like him a little bit. I mean, I think he's a decent hitter, has some speed. The, the speed was nice and dual eligibility, but, um, yeah, not a lot of power. I, I think he can get to 20 once or twice in his career maybe. Yeah, I'm with you. I do think he'll get close. I think he'll get over that hump. I like Solak. Traded for him about a year and a half ago in the Dynasty League, gave up Franklin Barreto for him. And, Ooh. yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a I, win. It was a win. I like Solak. All right, moving on. Jake Cronenworth, I don't think we've yet to talk about this guy this year. Went from obscurity to a pretty valuable asset in Dynasty Leagues this year. 285, 354, 477 slash line. Only had four home runs, which did surprise me. It was that few. And three steals. And I've seen him go for a pretty good price in Dynasty Leagues. Which is more likely to happen? Cronenworth turns into a really good fantasy player for a few years, or Cronenworth's value is at his highest right now, and he is more remembered for this flash in 2020. I'm kind of split on that. I think it. I think it can go either way. Um, the one, the one thing I'll caution people is. This was somewhat out of nowhere. And it was 192 plate appearances. So, I mean, when you look at his StatCast page, it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Everything looks good. Hit the ball hard. It's fast. Everything looks good. But just keep in mind, it's 192 plate appearances. And in 1,900 minor league plate appearances, he hit 22 home runs. So, gee. I would just be a little cautious thinking that just because he did this in 50 games or whatever he, whatever he played exactly, I don't have it, is it 54 games, that that's just going to continue on. And if it does continue on, he's awesome. But I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to see it for a, for a full year. Yeah, I can't help but remember the buzz that Tommy Edmond had last year coming off. And he was fine this year, but he's. Last year was much better than what he did this year. Uh, Number five, Alec Baum, slash 338, 400, 481. Good triple slash line there. Four home runs and 180 plate appearances. Um, Only thing lacking was the home runs. His value seems pretty high right now, and given, given the power, it really didn't show. Stock up, stock down, stock the same going forward. I think stock up. I this is one of these um these guys that I really like this year. I think he's good hitter. I think that he's going to develop power. I mean, he's a big guy, doesn't strike out a lot. Hits the ball hard, makes contact, you know, like everything's pretty much there with the bat and um you know, he's 24, has the pedigree. I think his, I mean, his strikeout rates in the minors were all between like 10 and 15%. It was 20% this year, but it's still pretty good. Had BABIP luck, but expected batting average 286. I mean, that's solid. yeah, I like him. I think he's, I think he's good and like can continue to get better. So all-star level player, you think? Could be. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. I'm in on bomb. Um, okay. Ryan Mountcastle's next 140 plate appearances. 333, 386, 492 slash with five home runs. And I've had Mountcastle on a dynasty team for, since 2017 when he had his little breakout. I think it was in high A and double A. And what really stood out to me, knowing what I've seen the last three years, is that he had a 7.9% walk rate, which is significantly higher than it had been throughout his minor career. Do we need to start upgrading Orioles prospects as a whole, given how many of these questionable guys have just they've gotten a lot out of them in 2021 and also how do you feel about mount castle going into 2021 uh, as far as upgrading orioles prospects i don't i don't know i mean i hadn't really even thought too much about that um if you have a thought on it you can expand but i as far as him i mean the nice thing there is there should be opportunity obviously baltimore isn't very good and one thing I like with them right now is sometimes these guys don't – it's not like they don't have to be really, really good to get the playing time. And playing time is valuable, so 
Um, overall, I don't love the profile. I mean, I don't think he's going to hit for high averages or steal, so it's kind of just power. But, um, yeah, not terrible. I mean, he should get playing time. I think he'll be a trendy guy in drafts this offseason to where – but I would love to get him as a corner infielder. I I think he does have very good bat to ball skills. He sure, he's never had a high strikeout rate despite swinging all the time. So if he's adding some walks, I really like this profile. As for the Orioles, uh, this is what I'll say, and then we'll move on. I if I see a Oriole prospect coming up that's a mediocre guy that seems to be starting to hit, I'm going to take a lot more notice than I normally would in the past. I should say. Okay, um, a lot of positives so far. This one's not going to be. Number seven, Joe Adele's first 38, big, 38 games in the bigs were not pretty. 132 plate appearances, and his triple slash is 161, 212, 266, with three home runs and zero steals. So, two-part question, both of them, what's your level of concern but for 2021 redraft leagues and dynasty leagues as a whole. Redraft, he's going to have to go in a spot where I'm just, I'm not depending on him that much. I mean, I would, I would take a shot on him if it was far enough down, but it's, it, you can't expect much out of him right now. Dynasty leagues. I still think he'll be fine, but there might be some bumps. I mean, it's, Obviously, you know, sometimes with these guys, they don't all, they don't, it's not linear. You know, they don't all, some of them pan out right away. Some of them take time. And I feel like he might take some time. It may be a couple of years. I don't, I don't even know like really what to think of him in a redraft, but there would come a point, I mean, where I'd be like, okay, I'll take the shot on him. Do you think it's more likely than not he's, he still eventually turns into an all-star level player? Probably, yeah. I don't want to dismiss his long-term career. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just, uh, it was, it's just rough at the beginning. But yeah, I, long-term. I mean, I think you still have to be optimistic. I still got one more question. When you were talking about he'd have to fall a bit of ways, would you take him in the starting twenty-three rounds, or does he have to be a reserve-round pick? I, don't, I have no idea where he's going to go next year. Well, he'll go in the first twenty-three rounds. You I think so. Yeah. But I don't know exactly where. I mean, yeah, I would take I would take him in like round twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So you want but, to get him as like an outfielder four, outfielder five, late in a draft. Yeah, I I think you'll you're gonna have to take him a little higher than that though. I mean, there's gonna be somebody that's gonna be like, all right, it's round fifteen, and all these guys look at the same, and give me Joe Adele, you know, something like that. But that'd be my guess. I mean, we'll see. I'll let you know where he goes in this draft. Yeah, I'll be curious. Number eight, Leody Tavares. I feel like he's been in the minor leagues forever and mostly scuff, scuffling the majority of the last few years. He made his debut this last year. Hit 227, 308, 395 on the slash line with four home runs and eight stolen bases. Again, steals are hard to come by, and this is an ADP that's going to be interesting. Where in a redraft do you think you'd be interested in him? The only thing I thought was after pick 200, I, I really don't know. I haven't really thought a ton about it. I saw that um, roster resource has him leading off. Man. So that that's interesting if that actually happens. But um, as far as where I'd be interested, it'd, it'd probably have to be somewhere in that range like I was talking about with Adele. So that's my follow-up as I was hearing you say that. Which one would you take first right now? Adele. Adele? Adele. Yeah. Yeah, Adele's got the more tantalizing tools. Part of me wonders if I'd go Leody. I'd have to think about that. I think I You didn't hesitate. I think I'm hesitating as I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I haven't seen enough from yeah. Leody to make that jump. Understand, if we had been saying this a year ago, it would be... <laughs> Funny. <laughs> yeah yeah okay um we're going to your cubs now nico horner hit 222 312 259 slash line if i'm seeing that right with zero home runs and three steals what's your level of concern for this guy long term 
Um, the the thing is that I don't have a lot of long term concern with him because I'm not crazy high on him in fantasy to begin with. So it's not like I'm that shocked or disappointed that he didn't like blow the doors down when he first you know first time around the league. I think he'll be better than this. I mean, I think he's still a decent hitter and stuff, but um, just has to get his footing and. Uh, I don't think he'll. I mean, I just don't think he'll ever be a fantasy star. So, level of concern, though, it's. I guess when you don't have high expectations, you're not let down. You know, kind of one of those things. Man, didn't he have like a really nice Arizona Fall League two or three years ago and got real true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago. Yeah, it I, was. It was actually right after he was drafted, I believe, because yeah, that was in the in those sub drafts, going into 2019. He was kind of taken off, like trendy guys and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go at the beginning of the off season, before the fall league, he really wasn't near as trendy as he was after that. Yeah. Number ten. Oh, my dogs have made an appearance. You heard that, right? I did. Yeah. This is the first time I've ever recorded and had the dogs in the room with me, and they are wrestling behind me. So yes. <laughs> no, I'm not beating my dogs. They're wrestling with each other. <laughs> uh. Moving on, number 10, your boy, Andrew. This I think of Luis Garcia of the Nats as one of your guys. Cause you were really? Yeah, I do, because I know you were a fan of him a couple years back. Um, been has He's been young in all of his stops throughout the minors, and he surprised people by being called up by the Nats this year. Fared pretty decent. 276 batting average, 302 on base, 366 slug with two home runs and one steal and 139 plate appearances. Do you think this guy's up for good? And what do you think the upside is for this guy? It's funny you said that. I don't even, I don't consider him one of my guys at all. But You had shares um, on him everywhere. I, I had one or two, I think, yeah. Everywhere. Um, <laughs> good ones. I, as far as being up for good, I mean, I wasn't even expecting him to be up this year, so. Nope. Who knows on that, but um, I thought overall it was all right. Like, he's so young, it's hard to really judge anything he's done. I mean, one thing I would keep in mind, anything you're dissecting with this guy, he wasn't even really supposed to be in the majors. So, and it's kind of been that way at every stop. He's just been so young. So, um, I don't think he's like a crazy upside guy, more of a hit tool player that probably won't have a ton of power or speed, but um, yeah, I think he's a decent hitter and I mean, when you're this young, it's just to hit 276 your first go around. It's that's not bad. My take on him is not changed with this performance, really. And what he did this year is impressive. I expected that him to be a good batting average guy who does not provide too many home runs or steals. Maybe the low teens on both. Maybe a middle infielder, but not an exciting one to me. All right, now next up is a guy I know you will take as one of your guys dylan carlson we both talked him up this spring and he definitely disappointed in 2020 200 batting average 252 on base 364 slug with three home runs and one steal and he was so bad in the early going he was sent down around the halfway point of the short season came back and at the end and fared pretty well well enough that in the playoffs he hit cleanup for st louis you doubling down on him in 2021? 100 million percent, yes. Yeah, I can't. I I actually feel like it's a blessing in disguise that this happened because I hope there are people out there that are scared off. Mm-hmm. I'm, please don't draft him. I, I want him again, yeah. I really would, like, Part of me is glad to have seen him hitting cleanup for the Cardinals in the playoffs. Part of me also wishes that hadn't happened because it, it, some people will remember that and yeah. maybe as the as the final thing about him. But yeah, wasn't I, it wasn't it like forty at bats when they sent him down? Like when they you know when he was up, and then he went down. It six maybe sixty wasn't much. No, but I re, I just remember thinking like, man, if people are going to overreact, and even when they sent him down, I was like this is just a nothing sample. You know, mm-hmm. I know he was, I know he wasn't doing anything, but 
mean, four, you know, whatever it was. It might have been 60 at-bats, but it wasn't a lot. I just no. was I was really surprised. Nope, and he wasn't – I could tell he was pressing at that point, so I do think it, was, it wasn't a terrible idea to send him down and obviously came back yeah. and finished strong. Uh, White Sox, Nick Madrigal played 29 games, 109 plate appearances, and he is triple slash 340, 376, 369. With zero home runs and was two for three on the base paths. Over under 30 home runs plus steals in 2021, assuming he gets a full season of at-bats. And my second question, if he isn't stealing an, an elite number of bags, how valuable is this guy? I would say um, under 30, probably like... I would expect about three to five homers and 18 or so steals. Yeah. I really, hope. I mean, he's all right. He's all right. I mean, it's, I, I think he'll hit, I think he'll hit for high batting average too. So yes, he's okay. Nothing special, but I never thought he was. So no. this is kind of about what I thought he was really. It, this is a guy. So many people are torn on people. Like there are a lot of different beliefs. I don't think he's any like low twenties and steals is what I would project. Like think is like the high end for him, maybe. And if you're not doing that, and you're not if you're only doing that, and you're not hitting home more than three to five home runs, which by the way we should make an over under bet this off season for home runs for him. Like set it at two and a half or something. <laughs> That'll be fun. But yeah, I'm not in on Madrigal. I I think I sh- let me put it this way. I think there are other people that are much higher on him. It's really hard to succeed in fantasy baseball these days when you have a guy in your lineup that hits zero homers. Yes. And he's basically going to hit that. It's it hurts when you have if you got a 50 stolen base guy and you had zero home runs. It's going to be hard to make yeah, that up. Yeah, right. But at right, least right. you're getting the 50 home runs. Of course, yeah. Or 50 steals. Okay, Carter Keyboom, 204, 344, 212 slash. We've had some weird slash lines through this. Zero home runs or steals in 33 games, 122 plate appearances. And I think dynasty owners are losing patience in, in leagues, and his stock is starting to drop. Andrew, have your thoughts on him gone down much in the last year? Not too much in the last year. I never really been a big key boom guy especially since he kind of vaulted up prospects prospect list but um people are definitely souring on him i know i've seen one or two trades in leagues that i'm in i can't think exactly what they were off the top of my head but where i was like whoa they they sold him kind of low so um i wouldn't be opposed to buying him if it was really cheap which probably should be at this point and see what happens he's still going to be an mlb regular isn't he yeah i would think yeah yeah i think so too i'm really not worried about these bad slash lines in terms of the uh, the batting average because he he wasn't really good last year but i think he'll figure that part out the question is how much power does he show because he really hasn't shown a ton of that coming up through the minors i've definitely waned on him in the last year or two because of that but i still believe in the hit tool uh, number 14, Andres Jimenez was one of the most exciting hitters in the league early on. He was basically free via free agency in these fantasy leagues this year. And he was near the top of the NL in steals at one point. Played 49 games, 132 plate appearances, and hit 263 with three home runs and eight steals. Question is, will he get the at-bats next year? Over or under 400, what would you take right now? think I would take the under, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah, I I think I'm with you. I mean, they've got a log jam. They got Cano there at second. They have um, Ahmad Rosario at short. J.D. Davis plays third and bounces into the outfield. And I think him and S can play a couple positions. But yeah, I think yeah, he, I think he was I think he was playing a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything this year. Yeah. But I think he's their utility guy unless they have a bunch of injuries. So, yeah, I think I'm with you there. Final one. Uh, This is actually two prospects. 
Who would you rather own in the Dynasty League? Dalton Varsho versus Joey Bart? I think this is a good one, actually. I I think the answer is Bart, but um, I think short-term with Varsho, I mean, if you could tell me that, you know, the, I mean, the obvious thing here is how long is Varsho going to going to catch i mean that's really what a lot of this comes down to i feel like because and i i mentioned this in the group the other day but like if if var show is catching i think the perfect case scenario is catches 30 games a year 25 whatever you want to call it and then plays in the outfield a lot or you know wherever they put him in the field i know this year he dh'd i think he I think he played 10 at catcher, 15 to 20 in the outfield, and he DH'd a few. So he kind of a little bit all over. But um, I would take Bart. I still think Bart's good. It's just um, the there's like a perfect world thing here with Varsho short term where I'm actually going to target him in this draft. But um, where like if he has catcher eligibility and he's chipping in like 10 steals or something. I mean, that's so huge. Valuable. Yeah, that's huge. And um, especially when you consider if you're catch, if he's catching a little bit and playing the other positions a lot, it's, you know, less wear and tear on him and the at bats. Like he could get, you know, like if you took a list of all catcher eligible players, at bats, I mean, he could be high on that list because mm-hmm. he's playing on other positions. So, yeah, I think it's like a sneaky thing there. Yeah, he's um, a fun second catcher this year. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, he could, theoretically, he could play, say, 25 games at catcher and 100 in the outfield or more. I mean, I don't know exactly how much, but, you know, or moved around, you know, if they have the DH or whatever they do to where he's playing more games than almost all catchers, pretty much. I mean, that's there's not a lot of catchers that even qualify for the batting title in a given year. So I'd imagine he's going to be trendy. This I mean, I'm saying all that and then I'm saying Bart. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I just would. I just I feel like you're too dependent, though, with Varsho on the catcher eligibility. Mm-hmm. The minute he loses that all the intrigue goes away or at least most of it. Yes. So, and Bart's going to have it. So yes. I would, I would go with that. So dynasty league Bart, but 2021, you'd rather have a bar show. I'm assuming. Possibly. Yeah. I'd have to like, look up, you know, kind of how they're planning on using them and stuff. Yeah, but I, I will say, at, I should say at his, where I think he'll go. Cause I, I think, uh, I think Bart will go ahead of our show if I had to guess. So, um, and I think I'd rather have Varsho in the spot that he goes. We're well past sixty seconds, but we're also on the last one. I got you. Listen, yeah, that's why. That's kind of why I kept going. <laughs> you listen to a lot more podcasts than I do baseball podcasts, and I'm wondering if Varsho gets the helium getting talked up. Are, are you hearing him being talked up much so far here? I haven't heard on? much. I haven't heard much yet. No. Let's hope that stays that way. It's so. I mean, obviously, it's. It's our barely league. barely turning over in next year, so yeah. Okay, well that wraps up the fifteen and fifteen and hitters, and we're gonna. I take... meant to ask. I want to ask you real quick. Okay, you were you were saying at the when we were talking about Robert, you were mm-hmm. like, I got a follow up question, but we ran out of time. What was it? Oh, uh, and I don't oh, think. Oh yeah, that was the one. That was the one I, I posted on Baseball Three Sixty Five. We can touch on that here now. I posted about him versus Adalberto Mondesi two oh, okay. two yeah. bad hitters and who would you rather have and I was going to ask you between those two guys who would you rather have probably Mondesi but I'm not I'm probably not getting either one to be honest and they both went fairly early in your draft and hold league, didn't they? Yeah. Mondesi went 26, <laughs> and which was, you know, back end of round two. And Robert went 41, back end of round three. Jeez. So, yeah, I just, I don't think it's for me, but I get that, um, trying to chase an overall competition and the steals and all that 
just hard for me to uh, stomach those guys as hitters and in that spot of the draft. I think I'm with you, and I'd rather have Mondesi, but we are in the minority when it comes to Baseball 365 because after Robert went, and there were a couple discussions in one of our chats going on about these two guys, I posted the poll up in Baseball 365. Who would you rather have between these two? And with 60 votes... 55 out of the 60 say Luis Robert. So you are definitely in the minority, and I think I'm there with you on that side. It's crazy. I did yeah. not expect it to be that overwhelming with Robert. but I, I, guess... think, I think Robert's going to be really, really trendy. I mean, I'm not like surprised with any of it. I just don't think I'm going to be in that spot. I don't know. There's a lot of time to think about it, but just um... – his weaknesses are just something that doesn't get corrected overnight, if yeah. that makes any sense. It's so. very similar to how we were feeling about Mondesi two years ago going into that off, going into that season. And it worked out for Mondesi. We'll see on Robert. Okay, now we'll take that quick break, and then when we come back, I've got a Halloween story before we get out of here. All right, Andrew, tomorrow is Halloween, and do you get trick-or-treaters that you're – you live in a uh, – what are those called? A con- Townhome. Townhome, yes. Yeah. Do you, do you get trick-or-treaters there? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. How many do you typically get a night and on and every uh, and a year? Not a lot. There's not a ton. There's a few that just around the neighborhood, but there's not a lot. Well – how much do you and you do you usually buy candy and have the light on? Um, the first, yeah, the first year, I don't think I was home, mm-hmm. and like tomorrow I work, so I, I won't be home tomorrow. Um, last year, yeah, I did. I had, I want to say there was probably fifteen to twenty. It wasn't a lot. Okay. Um, when when we my wife and I got married, I always wanted to live in a house i always lived in an apartment so i was very excited to do the whole trick-or-treating thing when we got married 10 years ago and give candy to kids just thought always i don't know for some whatever reason i find joy in that and i remember those first couple of years we lived at the end of a dead-end road and i remember one year we had a family come at like six o'clock when it just got dark and then not another one came for us the night i was pretty bummed then we moved seven years ago to a house where we probably got most years, 25 to 50 kids would come, so it wasn't bad. And when we moved in April, I had a, I, I was told by our neighbors that in this new neighborhood we live that there are two holidays each year to be fully prepared to be crazy. The 4th of July, which they were right, it was absolutely nuts, and Halloween. The lady went, proceeded to tell me that if you want to give Halloween candy to kids all night, be prepared to spend two to three hundred dollars worth of candy. So, yeah, I, this is just mind blowing, but like a dream for me. I mean, I don't know if I really. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend, but I really enjoy Halloween. And if this is a thing that our neighborhood's well known for, heck yeah, I'm going to participate in this. So for the last two months, I took her suggestion when she said. When the Halloween candy starts hitting shelves, just buy a couple bags each week as compared to just having to buy it all right there at the end. So I've been doing that. <laughs> and taking it all and putting it in my basement storage room and just piling it in there. So my wife and I are having a conversation the last couple days. We're like, how are we going to do this? And I, I guess there's so many kids that nobody even like stays inside. They go sit in their driveway with bags of candy and just keep giving it to kids as they go by because they're ju- the door would just be opening and shutting all the time. So we're talking about this and we're my I'm t- asking my wife like how many we I, we're going to give kids and I was like I think I'll let each kid take about two each and she's like I don't think that's a good idea. I'm like, "Well, why?" And we got in we really got into this tonight talking about it. She's like, well, what if you run out? And I'm like, 
well, I've got a lot of candy. I don't think that's going to happen. And she asked, she's like, well, how much do you have? How many pieces? Because we were told by one neighbor, maybe 500 kids come. And wow. Yeah, that was the number that one of the neighbors said to me this week. 500 kids. Like Jeez. everybody in town co- apparently comes here. Because it's a well-lit area, triangle-shaped neighborhood to where it's a you can make a good round on it. So I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, I've asked you this before. Go downstairs and go count. And I'm like, okay. So I go down and start counting the bags. Cause count each ba- the candy? Well, each bag, oh, the bag tells like how you many how many have. is in yeah. it. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Um, I want you to just take a guess. How many do you think oh. I got? Uh, how many pieces? How many pieces? Just throw a number out <laughs> how there. How many pieces of candy? Um, well, there's five. Gonna if you're planning on five hundred. Well, I did not plan this. I just and I know. Bags. I know you were went way overboard for sure on this. <laughs> I'm gonna guess fifteen hundred. It's more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Because my wife is like, make sure you got at least five hundred pieces if you're gonna give before you start thinking about giving. Giving like, over two. Yeah, so I yeah. go upstairs and I've just got this grin on my face, like this weird <laughs> grin. And she's like, "How many you got?" And I said, "Take a guess." And she's like, "Well, we'll start five hundred. I put my thumb up, and we just kept going up until <laughs> we finally stopped at two thousand one hundred and thirty pieces of candy. I have. <laughs> wow so you could do a thousand kids and two give them two each and we and would you could still have, have 30 left yeah <laughs> yeah you can definitely be uh I you can definitely I, be generous tomorrow i think i went up. overboard a little <laughs> <laughs> and i got all of it i mean they're all the little mini candy bars i mean i've got the twix the kit kat the reese's i'm and and then I'm like, okay, I'm overdoing the chocolate. I need to at least some kids don't like chocolate. So I got the Starburst, the Skittles, the Sour Patch Kids. Everything you could think That's of me. is in my the Sour Patch Kids. All that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, you're a big Skittles guy. Didn't you say that at one point? Yeah, Skittles, Starburst, all that. Yep. I love Starburst. Not as much a Skittles guy, and I do love Sour Patch Kids. Oh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to have this tote full of candy and so many kids I guess are going to be coming because if you, I did the math I mean I hear kids start showing up at like the little ones start showing up at 4 30 what afternoon. time is what time is your thing or what time is the uh trick-or-treating well I hear it starts in my neighborhood at 4 30 how and late does it go no clue probably I mean all night I'm, midnight <laughs> I'm preparing for nine ten o'clock yeah and we'll see at that but so that's five hours, 300 minutes. And if you get 500, 600 kids, that's two a minute for that entire stretch. And, yeah, that's wild. And really, it's I'll be curious to more hear that. is like 530 to nine. So that's more like 200 minutes. I'll be curious to see the final hear the final numbers on all this. Yes. And um I will definitely be tweeting tomorrow and sharing on Facebook. I plan on taking pictures and some videos of just, if I see insane groups of kids just walking through neighborhoods, I might just take some far away shot. So I'm not really taking pictures of anybody up close, but just to show just how crazy this gets. But yeah, the 4th of July did not disappoint. It exceeded what I was expecting. I posted a video on Facebook on the 4th and it was nuts. So after that, I'm not taking this lightly. I think I still, no matter what, I'm going to have plenty of candy left over. <laughs> yeah, you should, I would think, but never know. Yeah, but 2,130 pieces. So if you live in Republic, Missouri, come find me because I got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that'll be, that'll be fun. This was fun. We got some more stuff to go into. We need to talk about pitcher rookie pitchers. We still got to do a mock draft. We got your draft going on to discuss. So we got plenty of stuff, and and I know it's best for Andrew when we record on Fridays, and I'm going to try to make this a thing where we try to record each Friday through this offseason, at least most of them. So 
hopefully we'll be back next week for y'all. Yep. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Yep. And thank you all for listening. And until next time, take care. Everybody. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. Baseball 365.